You're listening to Elk Point Baptist Church. Subscribe to our podcast to hear every sermon and like us on Facebook by searching Elk Point Baptist Church, located in Elk Point, South Dakota. Ephesians 4, and uh, we've been looking over the last couple weeks that we've been able to be in Ephesians. We looked at some essential tools for unity. This chapter uh, is about unity. Uh, Now we're going to look at some essential truths of unity. We kind of spent a little bit of time on this last week. Very important. Uh, But we'll begin reading in Ephesians 4, verse 1, and we will read down through verse number 6. The Bible says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called. And, uh, and these are the essential tools for unity. With all lowliness and meekness, with longsuffering, forbearing one another in love. Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. So that's the essential tools for unity. Now some essential truths uh, of unity. Um, there is one body and one spirit, even as you are called, in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. And so we're going to deal with these tonight. This is actually a uh, some. I think there's a number of you that are aware that this is. These can be kind of controversial verses as far as at least in the way they're applied and we're going to just get right into those tonight Uh, i will say in the way of introduction that when we talk about unity you know we we've already said when we talk about unity we're not talking about uniformity uh you know and that's uh uniformity a lot of times it's there's good intentions behind uniformity and a lot of times there's a, a pastor or a group of people that agree that, okay, this is the way we need to be, and you've got to be just this way if you're going to be right with God. Um, and interestingly enough, it's usually you've got to be just like me if you're going to be right with God, you know. Uh, but, uh, uh, but, but, I, but there are a lot of times there's good intentions involved in, in pushing for uniformity, but, uh, but we just need, I believe we need to trust God, trust the work of the Holy Spirit, that He is the one that's building His, his church and His local churches, and so he knows the people to bring in, and he knows the personalities, and he knows the strengths, and he knows the weaknesses, and uh, he knows all of our differences and everything. And, and aren't you glad that, that God's got a place just for you, and he's got a purpose just for you, Aaron? Isn't that cool? I mean, uh, and he's got a purpose just for Chad and, and Chad. I mean, and I'm not stuttering there, but, but I mean, no matter who you are and what your gifts are, and uh, because a lot of times it's real easy if we're not careful to look over and say, well, I kind of wish I was like such and such, or I wish I had the gift of so and so. But the, the, the truth of the matter is, God, and I'm kind of getting ahead of myself into the next part of the verse 7 and on, that God's gifted us in different ways, so we'll talk more about that. So there's a difference between unity and uniformity. There's a difference between unity and union. My pastor used to say, my pastor's got some great, um, you know, he's... Uh, He's a really smart fellow, but he's got some good southern uh, analogies or metaphors that he likes to use. And he said, if you, t- you could take two cats and tie their tails together and throw them over a clothesline and you'd have union. But you wouldn't have much unity. Uh, and so there's a difference between union and unity. There's a difference between uniformity and unity. Uh, they're not all the same thing. Now, the cool thing is we enter into this passage. We can do it with a lot of confidence and a lot of boldness. Um, when we say that, the, the, the big challenge I'm telling you that we face right now uh, in, in our world today, and it's going to increase, is the misapplication 
of these couple verses that we're going to try to deal with tonight. In other words, when people talk about unity, a lot of times the foundation of their unity is we're not interested in doctrines. We're, we're dismissing doctrine altogether. Uh, well, that's a pretty poor foundation because God's Word is doctrine. Uh, the, the, the teachings of salvation by grace through faith, the teachings of eternal security, the teachings of uh, the, the atonement of Christ, the resurrection, all those are doctrines. Um, and so uh, we, you know, so they'll say we're not interested in doctrines. And here's how I'm telling it's, you, you can hear it in the media today, you hear it in politics. It, it's when the way people phrase arguments, the way people can uh, state things. And if you you got to be careful the way people state things. Sometimes if you're not careful, you can lose an argument or lose a debate. And, and it's not about winning arguments or winning debates necessarily because it's about reaching people. But a lot of times you can lose before you ever get started. And that's if you respond to the to an incorrect uh, phrase question. Uh, you know, a good example of well, a good example would be if you were to say that. Do you believe in uh, unity? Do you believe in love? Or do you believe in doctrine? Well, wait a second. Uh, uh, th those aren't mutually exclusive. Those go together. Those go together, as we're going to see. A real common one that doesn't fit into the application of tonight's uh, verses, but still is a good example when people say, when someone may come up to you and say, well, do you believe in science or do you believe in religion? Do you believe in faith or do you believe science? Well, if you, if you just start off by getting in the conversation, right there you can say, wait, hold your horses just a minute. Uh, I believe both. And I've had people say that to me. Man, I, I'd really like to come to church and I'd really like to, you know, and the one guy that I used to work with, and he'd say, uh, you know, but, but I really like science and I really believe in science. I'm like, so do I. So does God. Amen. Science is knowledge. Science is discovering what God is, has done and already created. I said the Bible is very scientific. Um, but the thing is, is people are often ignorant. But in other words, you can sometimes um, lose, um, and I hate to use the word argument or debate because I'm not out there looking to argue and debate people. I'm out there trying to reach people with the gospel. But a lot of times you can lose in that effort before you get started. And it's the same way with this. Oh, I know you. Y'all are the ones that stand on the Bible. Y'all are the ones that believe the Bible's the Word of God and Christ is Lord and Savior and, and you're really dogmatic about those things. You're not about unity. You're not about unity. It's like, wait, what are you talking about? That is unity. Uh, those is, that's what we uh, unify around. So to, to say that we're not... Just let us for, forget our doctrines and just love one another, that doesn't make sense. Uh, if I love you, I'm not going to ignorantly... I'm not going to ignore the fact that you're trusting in another means besides the biblical salvation by grace through faith through the blood of Christ Amen. for salvation. I cannot ignore that. Amen. Oh, I, I don't want to stir up controversy. I know you're going to hell in a handbasket and you're leading a lot of other people with you, but I don't want to be offensive. I'm about love. What kind of love is that exactly? Amen. What kind of love is that exactly? I mean, that's not love. Uh, that I mean, that's the worst kind of person there is. Um, and... I think I don't know if I've ever preached this message or not, but you could preach a message about the meanest man in town. The meanest man in town. He's not the guy that gets drunk and, and roughs people up. He's not the guy that you got to watch your wallet and your, your wives and kids and whatever else around. The meanest man in town is the man who knows the truth and won't share it with somebody else. Amen. Or the meanest woman or the meanest person. Who, who knows how to, the answer to how to get to heaven. Who knows Christ and won't share That's pretty stinking low down. Dirty right there, buddy. 
Because what's at stake? What's at risk? And so love, uh, th- this world sometimes interpretation of love and God's interpretation of love, uh, sadly, are two different things. Uh, let's forget our doctrines and just love one another. Just some of these things that are said. Um, but what happens is these things are built on very shaky ground. And so we, we spent some time talking about that now. There's some, there's some basic spiritual realities that are uniting, that unite all true believers. And he gives them here. He starts off with this. There is one body. One body. Now, that is a, that's a controversial subject right there, right away. Uh, there is one body. Well, what's the body? Um, I believe if you go over to 1 Corinthians 12, 13... We're not going to have this... I don't mean to go in-depth with this tonight. I mean, like, overly in-depth. In other words, we could spend weeks talking about this. Um, but, but, but nevertheless, we can fill some questions and comments about this. But there's a lot of confusion around this, and so the point is is to try to clear up some of the confusion. Um, but the way we get our confusion uh, cleared up a lot of times is if we can go study God's Word without bias. And if we can forget... You know, some biases that we've had, some biases that we won't say, okay, Lord, just teach me what you say here. First uh, Corinthians twelve thirteen, the Bible says, For by one Spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have been all to drink into one Spirit. Okay, so one thing is clear in the Bible, the one body speaks of Christ. Over and over again in the Bible, it says that we are a member of Christ. Everybody who is saved is a part of Christ. Christ is a part of them. Um, that's clear. Uh, the one body model uh, is... The, or the one body is the model for the local bodies that God has established across the world. The fact that a person is a member of uh, Christ does not excuse him from the local church. And um, for it's in the local church, this is leading into the next, beginning in chapter number 7, it starts talking about spiritual gifts. Spiritual gifts are to be practiced in a local church. I mean, it's not to say that they don't affect the world at large, but they're to be practiced in a local church um, and and helping other people grow. So basically, when we talk about one body, we're a small part of something really big. Uh, some, and, and here's where we get in to the spectrum on this teaching about one body, um, the church, okay? So on this end of the spectrum, we have those that say, uh, oh, the, the, the body of Christ, the universal church, and in doing so, they dismiss any, uh, they totally negate anything to do with the local body of believers. Uh, they, they don't believe in having uh, pastors. They don't believe in having organized church because, oh, that's all man-made. And, and, and there's this extreme of people that feel like I'm a, I'm a member of the body of Christ, therefore I'm against all organized uh, religion. So you got that end. Then on this other far end, you have those that say, if you aren't a member of this church, you're not going to heaven. 
The only way you can go to church is if you are to to heaven is if you are a member of this particular church. Now that takes place. And by the way, some of you may be thinking about Catholics when I say that Catholicism. Catholicism does teach. And remember this: when I tell you what Catholicism teaches and doctrines of Catholicism, um, understand this: that the average Catholic person you know, even even those that are devout and go, probably aren't even aware of a lot of these things. Um, Therefore, don't even believe them. Uh, but that, but perhaps they and and even in CCD, it's not as strict as if you were raised Catholic as it as it was, uh, or you know as it uh, as it used to be. So you don't learn, I don't think, as much about what they believe. But I mean, it goes it goes all the way to the extent. Not only do you have to be a member of the Catholic Church, which Catholic, you know, and here's where you really get into the thing. Catholic means universal, you know. So so that's where we get this universal thing. But the interesting thing is, is the Catholic Church is the one that says, if you're not a member of this church, by the way. Catholic teaching, I'm not going way into this, but Catholic teaching, for one thing, teaches that everyone goes to purgatory. Everyone who dies. The very best Catholic, according to their doctrine, goes to purgatory. Understand this before I forget to say it. There is no purgatory. Amen. There's a heaven and there's a hell. Uh, but they believe that every Catholic goes and burns when they die. The only difference is, is how long will you burn? It may depend on how good of a Catholic you were. Now, the average Catholic probably don't realize that they're going to burn if, if by the basis of what they believe uh, until you're purified enough to get... Hey, the blood of Christ purifies. I don't need a sink of fire. Amen? Right? Uh, you get saved on earth, not in, in eternity. You get saved right here and now. But uh, all these things, in fact, uh, it, it even goes so far as that you've got to be buried in a Catholic cemetery even. And just a generation ago, uh, that Catholic cemetery would be visited regularly by the Catholic priest that would, vi- that would pray uh, over each person in the graveyard that they assume that most are probably still in purgatory. Uh, you, you know, and according to their doctrine, you can pray them out. One of the biggest things is you pay them out. Um, I know a sweet little couple uh, here in town. Um, and uh, I, I don't... The, the, the amount of money they've given because their son died years ago, I mean, uh, I don't know how many tens of thousands of dollars they've given into the church over the years just so that their son uh, might spend less time in purgatory. But you want to know the sad thing? They're still giving that money. They're still giving that money. And you can pay extra sometimes just to get the priest to mention the name in the course of the service. Yeah, and that kind of goes for uh, extra things too. Now again, uh, those are sad, sad things. And I'm not, I, I don't, I'm, I'm, I should, probably shouldn't have gone there. Uh, I don't regret going there, but I'm just trying to make a point is that their, their idea though is you've got to be a member of this church. I'm just going to the extreme on that. You've got to be a member of this church and you've got to follow all of these things and you know, you've got to follow all the way up to the last rites and everything else, man. You've got to follow all of these uh, sacraments all the way up to the last one. Um, I had never, well, and by the way, some of these things obviously cross over into the, to the Protestant world. Uh, this is not a Protestant church. Uh, we're not a part of a church that ever protest. I mean, we may protest the teachings of the Catholic Church, but this is not a church that ever thought uh, that the Catholic Church should be reformed. Uh, there's been a line of New Testament churches and beliefs that have always stood true to the New Testament that were never a part of the Catholic Church. Um, but for those that are, I can remember whenever I was a, uh, this kind of goes into the, one of the other ones here about one baptism, but I can remember whenever I became a chaplain at a hospital in Pierre. 
and we were going through the whole thing and uh, we were just about done with my little orientation when we made it to the um, the OB, you know, the, the baby uh, ward. And they said, okay, and here's where if you, have, if, if you have an emergency baptism come up, here's where our water's at and the sponge and all this. And I thought, an emergency baptism, you know. And of course, if for a Bible believer, that's very funny, an emergency ba- baptism. You know, it's like... Um, uh, but if you're Catholic or Protestant, you can understand an emergency baptism. Uh, because if that, if that child is not baptized, they're not going to heaven. That's not true, by the way. I've got to be careful saying these things. That is not true, but that's what they're taught. That's what they believe. Uh, and, and some of you are aware of that. I, I, know, people, I know people that have, that have been saved out of the Protestant church for a number of years um, that still have a tough time... Um, especially from their family, if they have kids and stuff, when they don't have their kids baptized, which baptized means to immerse. So, you know, bad news ain't none of them getting baptized anyway. Uh, They're just getting sprinkled or they're getting water poured on or whatever. But I can remember emergency baptism. And I I remember telling them, I'm like, "Um, yeah, I got a problem with that. Uh, I'm not doing any emergency baptisms. Uh, You know, so, um, I mean, listen, if, if the thief on the cross didn't need emergency baptism... I mean, come on. Uh, but again, uh, sometimes the Bible just throws off people's doctrine. And if the Bible ever messes up your doctrine, you need to change your doctrine, not the Bible. Amen. All right? Um, Amen. But i baptism. I refuse to do that. And uh, they let me stay on anyway. Uh, and, and by the way, uh, that, that's even not to mention after that, she went down and said, and at, and at the, uh, before you leave each, each evening, uh, take, uh, uh, you, you know, we'd pray over the intercom. Some of you heard that in hospitals. And uh, she was like, and, and here's a nice book. And she said, oh, dear Lord. And you know, and I'm just like, what is going on here? I'm fresh from uh, North Carolina here. And I'm like, what is going on here? Uh, but anyway. Um, Probably, yeah. Uh, they probably still are. Uh, but they had to have it typed out if they're praying for me, you know, because it can't come from the heart, for goodness sakes. But anyway, uh, but no, there's one baptism, there's one faith. Uh, but now, so my point is this, that we understand that there, that the Catholic Church can be that way uh, and, and other cults can be that way, other uh, quote-unquote Protestant churches uh, can be that way. But as some of you also know, there's Baptists that are that way too. Baptists that are the same way. That if you're not a member of a Baptist church, and it's funny how they get into this stuff, and one, these people are often called Baptist briders, but there's people that literally, uh, you know, you have to be a member of a Baptist church that was directly ascended from John the Baptist, uh, if you or descended from John the Baptist, if you are going to go to heaven when you die. So you have these extremes. You have people that go with this universal idea, uh, the mystical body of Christ, and just totally dismiss anything that has to do with the local church. You have those where if it's not this church, it's not any church. I mean, as far as um, you know, this 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 brand of church or this denomination. Now. Um, when we talk about this unity, this one body, um, there's false teachings on both sides. Um, and by the way, that, and I guess I've already said this, one thing you see about a false teaching is it leads to more false teaching. Just for me to say you've got to be a member of this church, what happens? And I've seen this, when I, when I listen to even the Baptist briders, I hear sometimes, I'm like, this really sounds a lot like a regenerated church membership to me. 
It sounds a lot like being baptized into this church, uh, you know, is, is, is also vital, is also a big key part in this whole thing because you've got to be a member of that church. You're a member of that church through baptism. And it's just, um, if, if they're not teaching that, it sure sounds that way and it sure sounds really confusing. So my point is, is no matter which way you're teaching, if you're teaching, if you're totally dismissing the local church, it leads to false doctrine. It leads to more false doctrine. And so that's, these fallacies often lead uh, to more and generate more false teachings, more heresy. Uh, then in between these fallacies, there's varying degrees. So, you know, I, I, I get sometimes annoyed, honestly, by people that uh, they'll, they'll call uh, churches that are strictly closed communion, and just because they're closed communion, they'll say, that's a, that's a Baptist brighter church. Well, no, it's not. They may be, you know, I've met some that are really close, but they're not, they're not Baptist brighter in the true sense of the word. There's varying degrees along this uh, rung. Those that are extreme this way, extreme this way, and then you've got varying degrees all in between. And then you've got the Bible. <laughs> Amen? And I like the Bible. Uh, I prefer to go with the Bible. And, and, and now, again, there's some things that we know. We know that the Bible's saying that if you're saved, you're a member of Christ. Uh, you're a part of Christ. I mean, you can't get away from that. Uh, no matter how much people tr- people over here try to get away from that. Uh, but at the same time, uh, when it comes to the local church, uh, man, re- read the New Testament and mark the word church when you read it. And I mean, I, I was I was I was trying to find the percentage when I was studying for this message, but I know that it's well over ninety percent. It may be ninety five percent of the references to church in the New Testament are referring to a local church, Amen. a local body, a local church. And so uh, it's clear that whosoever is saved is a part of Christ. It's also clear that the work that God has commissioned in this world is carried out by local churches. A local church is not a man-made organization. It's not it's, this established religion was a, in, in the sense of a true New Testament church was established by Christ. Amen. I will build my church. Christ said, the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And He set an order in His church. And, 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 the, and the New Testament lays all those things out of what the New Testament church ought to be. It doesn't tell us everything that it ought to be, but it tells us a lot of what a New Testament church ought to be. Um, so, uh, almost every reference in, uh, in the New Testament of church, it refers to a local church. However, I don't believe this is one of those. Because there's more than one local church. And a lot of people say, well, that's just talking about the Baptist, you know, or it's just talking about this one. It's talking about, no, it's not saying that. Um, again, it refers time and time again about being, being a part of the body of Christ. Um, and that's not, that, that is, that's true in a local sense, but it is true. What about when, when Jesus returns, you know, and, 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 he, uh, and, and the bride of Christ, you know? Um, who is that exactly? That's those that are saved. So, again, I know there may be a lot of questions because, again, there's varying degrees of people's thoughts along uh, these lines. Uh, this extreme is wrong. That extreme is wrong. Varying degrees in the middle. And honestly, understand this too, by the way, there is some room to disagree in the middle. I really believe that. There's, uh, the, the Bible teaches some things very clearly, but that does not mean that you've seen them clearly yet. Uh, it doesn't mean that you've... Um, that you've understood them clearly yet. So therefore, you know, there's room to disagree and uh, grow and love. So one body. One body. 
but but it, it doesn't just stop right there because it all, all these other truths, they, they go together and they build upon this idea. There's one body. So we're talking about the functional unity. One body, then one spirit, the Bible says. One spirit. The same Holy Spirit, is this not true? That kind of goes along with the first point, as you can see. One spirit, the same Holy Spirit indwells each and every believer. The Bible says, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. Uh, you know, I've mentioned before that I work with a group of people that, uh, that believe and teach that, uh, that you don't get the Holy Spirit until basically you get purified and holy enough uh, for that. But I'm glad that's not the case. And if it was the case, they're so prideful about how holy and clean they are, I think they wouldn't have the Holy Spirit to start with. Um, Many of them. Uh, but, but that being said, there's one Spirit that indwells each believer so that we belong to each other in the Lord. There are perhaps a dozen references to the Holy Spirit in Ephesians because He's in vital. He's vital to uh, our lives and us being able to live this life for Him. We, the fact that we can do all things through Christ and we can do all things through the power of the Spirit uh, in Christ uh, to be able to accomplish that. Now, another important part of this is 1 John 4, verse 1. 1 John 4, verse 1. The Bible says, Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. There's one spirit. Now again, when it comes to the Holy Spirit of God, one of the greatest works, I suppose, that the Holy Spirit has done, among many, is give us a Bible. <laughs> is, is inspire and speak through uh, men to breathe this book right here, the Word of God. Now, if that's the case, and the Holy Spirit is the author of the Bible, I say this because I can't tell you the people that feel like... Uh, they can. It's almost, they almost try to use it like a trump card. Anybody like to play spades, or if you play dominoes, you got a trump card, you know. And you always love just pulling that trump card out uh, and just being like, "Bam, I won." And they try to use this little phrase as a trump card sometimes. Well, I know, but you know, I, the, the Spirit of God really led me this way. I'm just sure the Spirit of God led me this way. There's nothing wrong with that phrase, by the way. But there's something wrong with that phrase if you're saying the Spirit of God led you contrary to what the Bible says. Amen. That's where you get into problems. Well, I know the Bible says this, but I just really feel led. Well, beloved, you need to try the spirits, whether they are of God or not. How do I know whether this spirit is of God? Uh, these spirits, but what does the Bible say in, in 2 Corinthians? Is it chapter 10, chapter 11? It says uh, it's no wonder that Satan is transformed into an angel of light. Listen, uh, the Bible warns that there's going to be many seducers in the last time. Seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. Uh, I mean, man, the devil doesn't come to you looking all scary and stuff most of the time. He comes to you looking slick and smiley and smelling good and looking good and sounding good and, and, and making you feel like you know, this is really what, uh, man, this is what I've been wanting to hear. See, what did the Bible say? The Bible says in the times that we live in, in the last days, that they, they will heap to themselves. I love that term, heap. 
I mean, man, they can't get enough of them. They just pile them up. They will heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. And, you know, it just reminds me of that, the, the whole idea. I always love that. The, the picture I get with the itching ears part is that, you know, itching ears as far as what you want to hear. It reminds me, anybody ever get an itch on, on their back? So I'm, the kids used to say, I got a, I got a scratch on my back where you itch it, you know. And, uh, and if you're like me, man, I can't reach my back to save my life. And so uh, I like it when... Uh, <laughs> but anyway, uh, I, either, uh, I either have to get my wife uh, to scratch my back or somebody... No, I'm just kidding. I either get my wife to scratch... Or you, you ever do... Some of you do, do... You ever do the old bear on the tree? and uh, then you got to growl when you do it Um, but it scratches your back and it feels good and how many of you uh, getting somebody to scratch your back and you're just like no no a little lower a little lower a little to the right you know and then you're like oh that's the spot that's the spot and it reminds me that you know it reminds me just like the old dog when you hit the spot and then the leg just starts going you know it's like you got it um, that was really disturbing. That was so disturbing. Um, but the, the, the point that I'm trying to make is this. That's, how we, that's, the, that's the, the culture we live in today. I'm just going to keep on fi- listening to teachers till I can find one that scratches that spot that feels so good right there. That's what I like. That's where I'm comfortable. Um, but see, these, these spirits are seducing spirits. I really believe... That 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 the uh, that, that the seductive woman that is uh, given in Proverbs, um, I, you know, I, I think I think of these things when I get up here and uh, forget the reference. I don't I don't know if it's the Proverbs seven woman, uh, but there's a whole chapter about a about a uh, a seductive woman. Now I believe that there are truly lessons there to watching out for a seductive woman, but I believe there's a great application there because that chapter starts off by saying. Take heed to my words. Apply my law to thine heart that it may keep thee from the strange woman that flattereth with her lips and all these things. Uh, but so, so there's definitely practical lessons there. But I believe there's a good application there too about how that false doctrine can flirt and seducing spirits can flirt and try to, uh, try to get you just to tell you just what you want to hear. Um, and so, uh, hey, and you know what? You want to know something? Sometimes the Holy Spirit tells me just what I want to hear. You know that? A lot of time. I mean, whether sometimes it really is what I want to hear. Sometimes I'm glad the Lord loves me. Amen. I mean, I do love a lot of these things, but it's but sometimes He tells me things I don't want to hear. Mm-hmm. Amen. And whether it's what I want to hear, what what what, what it's not what not what I want to hear. Uh, I need to listen to the Holy Spirit of God. And so, how do I know? How do you know? How can you know if the Spirit of God is speaking? How can we try the spirits? How can we try whether or not is this Spirit of God? How can we try the spirits? I'm asking you. Is it in line with the word? Yeah, is it in line with the word? Okay, now this goes both ways, and uh, and 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 I'll, and I'll move on. But okay, the spirit speaking to me. Which spirit is it? Which spirit is it? Uh, oh, I really felt the spirit moving. Well, what spirit was it? Because what I heard being preached and talked about uh, was not of God. Uh, therefore, there may be a spirit moving here. I felt him. I felt him. Yeah, I'm sure you did. <laughs> I mean, honestly. Uh, by the way, it, there, there, this is this is really a warning that many that that follow the charismatic crowd need to heed. That if you go looking for an experience, the devil will sure give you one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
We don't need to be seeking experiences. We need to be seeking truth. Amen. And we may have some experiences along the way, but, but we need to be seeking the truth of God's Word. Um, and uh, like Percy Ray used to say, he said, that's not, he said, that's not the Holy Spirit, that's a booger. Uh, you know, <laughs> like a boogeyman. Um, but anyway, don't know why I had to throw that in there. Um, so this, this works two ways. A Spirit is speaking to me. How can I tell whether or not this is the Spirit of God? Okay, does it line up with the Word of God? But there's another side to this. You ready for this one? This is real important in the Christian life as well. You also write this down. I, I can remember. I wrote this down at Maranatha Baptist Church in Dallas, North Carolina, uh, probably over 20 years ago. And man, it just made such a difference in my life. I wrote it down, and here was the statement that I wrote down. You do not need a voice when you got a verse. You don't need a voice when you got a verse. In other words, well, I know the Bible says this, but you know, I don't really feel led. I don't feel like the Spirit of God is leading me to do this. Okay, so what? Amen. Do you really need to feel the Spirit leading you? He told you to do it. Do it. I don't, feel, I don't really feel the Lord leading me to give. Oh, okay, well, you better not give then. I don't feel the Lord leading me to live a, a holy life. I don't feel the Lord leading me. I mean, you see what I'm saying? Like, What's it matter if you feel the Lord leading you or not? I don't need the Lord to lead me if He's already told me. Just do it. He said to do it. You don't need a voice if you got a verse. Because um, you get that part too. Well, I know the Bible said, but you know, I just don't really feel led to do that. So what? Um, and so... Uh, there's the, the functional unity of the, the, the church, the functional unity of God's people, one body, one spirit. So there's the functional unity, one body, one spirit, but there's also a fundamental, to, a fundamental unity, uh, one hope of your calling. Folks, that is the return. That's the second coming of the Lord. You know, that is an important doctrine. That's in the Bible. I mean, I believe it, you know, it's, but, but it's talked about a lot because, again, if you don't have the proper view of the second coming of the Lord, and I'm talking about a premillennial view, a New Testament literal interpretation view, it also leads to other false doctrines. I was amazed to find out. It's funny how these, all these false doctrines, again, one leads to the other, but I was amazed to find out how, how, how hyper Calvinists are not premillennial. How that it's very rare to find a hyper-Calvinist that's premillennial. In other words, premillennial just says that Jesus Christ is going to return, that there's going to be a seven-year period of tribulation. Jesus is going to return before the millennial reign. Uh, and by the way, this is a huge doctrine. And, and, and it answers, by the way. Just stick with me on this for a second. It can answer a lot of what's going on in this world. There are those with a post-millennial view of the return of the Lord, and their, their view is this. That basically the church has got to win the world. We've got to fix this world and get it right for the Lord to come again. So what happens with that doctrine is, oh man, this just this this just straight out preaching of the New Testament doesn't seem to be getting the job done. Yeah, amen. <sighs> man, you know what? We better make some compromises here and there because we're not we're not quite reaching the whole community. So we need to do everything we can to reach. And, and and so their motivation goes from just trying to reach souls with the truth of and with the love of God to all of a sudden they're trying to build a get a, get a kingdom ready here on earth for Jesus to come back. And so what it does is it leads to people compromising truths of the New Testament because they feel like oh my goodness we can't have people unhappy and we can't have people not wanting to come because we preach on hell or we preach against. Uh, 
you know, adultery or fornication or whatever else the Bible's clear, uh, clearly against. And there's forgiveness and grace for all these things. But the point is, uh, it's interesting how that... Uh, but, but there is one hope of our calling. Now, that being said... Uh, that does not mean that a person isn't saved or something like that if they do not have a premillennial view. There, there are uh, disagreements within that. But there is one hope of our calling, amen? And that is the blessed hope of our Lord Jesus Christ that He is coming again. And that's really the important thing is that we believe He is coming again. The amillennialists, a lot of them, there's a reason if you were brought up in a Protestant church that you never heard uh, beans about the second coming of the Lord. Because they did not believe in the second coming of the Lord. They would teach that, the, that when the Lord said, I will come again, that that's when He comes, takes you to heaven when you die. Or some would, some would teach that that's when you accept Christ as your Savior, that that's the second coming and that He came uh, back. Folks, that's not what the Bible's teaching. Uh, we, we sung that song and it, it follows a pretty biblical theme, uh, Joy to the World Tonight. I mean, the world, he, He's going to rule on this earth. Um, and so, but there is one hope of our calling, and that is the blessed uh, hope. Hey, there's one Lord. There's one Lord. And there's no question on who that Lord is. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the boss. Amen. Amen. Um, uh, and one thing about uh, the Lord, I, I love what Simon Peter said. Can anybody ever identify with Simon Peter? In other words, do you look at Simon Peter's life? And by the way, man, I really want to. I, I, we need to really read this year. I, we're coming up on a new year, man. Make some commitments with your Bible reading this year. I thought it'd be cool if we could almost try to, at least those that would be interested, almost getting on the same page with it, kind of encouraging one another, holding each other accountable. Something to think about um, in the last few days we got left here. But uh, but 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 you read about Simon Peter, and it's like. You know, because if you're not careful, even reading about Israel, if you read the first time you really read through the Old Testament and pay attention, you're you're reading about the nation of Israel, and you're like, "What's up with these people? Yeah. Were they idiots? Yeah. God, what? God just did all these miracles? I mean, God just, you know, I mean, there would be all these crazy judgments coming down in Egypt, but over in, uh, over in." Um, no, not Canaan. What am I trying to say? Land. Yeah, Goshen. Over in Goshen, man, there's nothing happening here. We're totally protected. God's leading us out with the mighty strong hand. No sooner do they get out to the Red Sea, oh, God brought us out to kill us. And you're like, you idiots. God opens up the Red Sea. They travel three days, and all of a sudden they, they're not believing God again. And you're like, after all God's done for you, so that's maybe your first time reading through the Old Testament. Your second time reading through the Old Testament, maybe now you've been saved a couple few years, and then you start thinking, yeah, I'm kind of like that. Amen. Amen. I'm kind of like that. I'm a lot like that. Uh, and then you see the same, same thing with Peter. Uh, one Lord. You say, what's that got to do with one Lord? I'm telling you. It's got to do with this. Simon Peter, a statement that he uh, said to the Lord, he said, not so, Lord. <laughs> no, Lord. Now, why am I laughing about that? I'm laughing about that because that just doesn't make any sense. No, Lord. You don't say no, Lord. Yeah. It's yes, Lord, or you're not calling Him Lord at all. You know, we're just doing lip service. We call Him Lord. No, Lord. Uh, he's the Lord. He's the one. And I want to tell you something else about this one Lord. This one Lord uh, does not reside. There's one Lord. There's not multiple Lords. There is not a... Um, uh, a, a Lord sitting in, I mean, at least a, a recognized Lord of God that's sitting on some throne somewhere in Rome, in the Vatican. 
There's not one in Springfield, Missouri. There's not one in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. Or in Dallas, Texas. Or in anywhere else. The point I'm trying to make is there's a lot of men that try to act like they're, the, they're a lord over the church. They're, they're, because they, they sure are higher than we are, aren't they? They sure seem to have a whole lot more authority than we have because they said it. They said this. So what? Big stinking deal. You know, I don't give a rip if they said it or not. What does God say? They're not a lord over me. They're a man. There's a lot of pastors that try to be a lord. I'm not a lord. I'm a servant. Amen? And yes, truthfully speaking, the pastor is also called in the New Testament a bishop. And, you know, it just goes to one of those things. You know, the, 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 the guy with the keys, the guy that's put in this position, is going to, he's going to be the, I'm going to give the one to give an account. <laughs> Therefore, you know, but, but still, God's, God's form of leadership is a servant leadership. Amen. It's not a, I'm the Lord, you bow down to me and don't ask any questions about it. There's one Lord, buddy, and I wish some preachers would figure that out. Um, all right. Uh, and then, uh, there's one Lord. Then, then we talked about this a little bit last week. There's one faith. One faith. Um, one faith, again. Does anybody remember what the one faith means right there? I know some of you weren't here last week, but some of you may already know. One faith. That's right. And I did. I just gave it quickly. It's the doctrine. It's the belief. It's Basically, it's, it's New Testament. It's, it's, I say New Testament, but it's Bible truth. That's the one faith. The Bible says, so, so where do you get that from? Jude is a good example of it. Jude, verse 3, I believe it is, that says that we should earnestly contend for the faith. The faith. The total embodiment of revealed truth or revealed truth. This. We contend for this. We fight for it. We don't lay it aside so that we can hold hands with somebody. Uh, you know, or put our, uh, you know, hug up on somebody. And I don't have a problem with hugging, you know. And it's awfully awkward when you hug somebody that's not a hugger, amen, uh, accidentally. It's like hugging a tree or something, you know. But uh, anyway, uh, and I'm not, but, but what I'm saying is there's a lot of people for, for the sake of this quote-unquote unity, non-scriptural unity, they'll set these things aside and they'll hug up and love up and whatever else they do. Uh, but this one faith says, you know what, I'm, I don't have to be rude, I don't have to be ugly. I don't have to be arrogant. But all I'm saying is, God gave us the truth. God gave us the truth. And folks, we stand for it. We live by it. Unity. You say, that sounds divisive. No, that's unity. Divisiveness is when you start trying to say, the truth don't matter. That's divisive. Uh, it's not divisive to say we stand on one truth. We stand on the Word of God. Uh, that's the one faith. And so, uh, there's one faith, there's one baptism. There's one baptism. Now, some debate whether or not this is the spirit baptism of 1 Corinthians 12, 13, but I believe it's water baptism. Uh, there's, one, there's one baptism that's recognized by God. It's believer's baptism. Um, it is after we are saved by God's grace, we follow the Lord in believer's baptism. Uh, after we are saved, after we can make the decision ourselves, we are immersed uh, and brought forth again. There's one baptism. There's one God and one Father of, Father of all. This is cool. Who is above all and through all and in you all. It's cool that already here in the book of Ephesians, the Bible says that Christ, uh, verse uh, in chapter 3, um, 
And the Bible says that Christ may dwell in you, verse 17, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith. Chapter 1 tells us that the Holy Spirit, now there's one God, amen, that's why, uh, there, that's why it's not just it's the Spirit, it's the Son, and it's the Father, amen, all dwell in us, amen, that He is in you all, and that He works through you all. Uh, man, what an awesome, marvelous concept and oneness of believers. Why is there this unity among, true, uh, among those that are truly saved? We have one Father. That makes for uh, a, a really a big foundation for unity, doesn't it? Now, brothers and sisters don't always get along. Is there a brother or sister that might say amen? Uh, brothers and sisters that don't, don't always get along. But if we have the, the right tools, if we utilize the tools through the power of the Spirit that are given to us in verses 2 and 3, uh, we can uh, get along. And we can endeavor to have patience and long-suffering and forbearing one another and be lowly and meek by the grace of Almighty God. But uh, we are children in the same family and we have the same loving Father. And we ought to be able to walk together in unity um, and harmony by the grace of God. Loving unity. God's family is the same. I like the Lord's Prayer uh, that says, Our Father. Kind of cool, isn't it? He didn't, Jesus didn't say, My Father. He said, Our Father. Our Father. Uh, why? Because He's our Father. Amen. If you're saved, He's our Father. There's one uh, God, one Father of all, who is above all. And, and I wonder if that's one of the reasons too, by the way, Jesus said not to call any man on earth your father. Yeah. And that doesn't mean that you can't call your daddy father, but he's, he, the context of that is a religious sense. You can tell the context of it. Uh, but one God, one Father, who is above all and through all. That through all is so awesome. Um, and that, that through all, it just sounds maybe just like through all, okay, whatever. But what it's saying is that God works through us. And the idea of God working through us, it doesn't just mean the way we sometimes say it like, you know, okay, I'm surrendered and God's just kind of working through my life right now. The idea is, is that going into the spiritual gifts of the next few verses, that He's working through us. It's like a line drawn. It's something he's, that, he's, that He's predestined. It has to do with that predestination. It has to do with that uh, preordination of what He has us to do. He's working through us. He's got His purpose that He's trying to work through our lives. Just like a line that's drawn through all every one of our days till the day that we die, God is working through us. It's kind of, it's a big, uh, a big phrase there that He's through all and He's in you all. Uh, 